to the Scottish Business Network podcast. Hello, I'm Fraser Allen. Welcome to episode 72. And yet again, we have a great interview for you. Honorary Scott Liz Barclay has a long history of campaigning for consumer justice and financial inclusion from her days at Citizens Advice through her distinguished career as a journalist and a BBC Radio 4 presenter to her place on the Financial Inclusion Commission. Then, in July, Liz was revealed as the new UK Small Business Commissioner. The Commission is an independent body set up by the UK government to support small businesses by tackling late payment practices among large private sector organisations. And if you're running your own business, you will know this is a big problem. My colleague Christine Essen tells me that the average SME is currently chasing probably about five late payments of about £8,500 each, totalling £50 billion in late payments altogether. I can certainly relate to that from when I ran my own marketing agency. Cash flow was a frequent problem due to late payment from, from big clients. I remember actually my bank manager popping in to see me one day when bank managers still existed and remarking that my business account balance was unusually low. I took great delight in explaining to him that one of the reasons for this was that the self-same bank was five months late in paying me a huge invoice. He looked suitably sheepish. So Liz Barkley is a great person to listen to on this topic and a highly entertaining one too. We also hear about her brushes with Duncan Bannatyne and Philip Green, a scurrilous tale involving yours truly and a bottle of whiskey and her extraordinary lockdown project. And for the first time in 19 months, this interview was recorded in front of an audience of real people in an actual room. It took place at London Scottish House on the 7th of September 2021. Sadly, I couldn't make it down to London, but the interview was expertly conducted by SBN co-founder Christine Essen. If you enjoy this episode, why not subscribe to the series? Simply search for Scottish Business Network on Apple Music, Spotify or the podcast platform of your choice. Christine began the interview by asking Liz what she'd been up to during lockdown. At the beginning of the pandemic, I set up a website, a podcasting and blogging website for small businesses. And it, it, was, it was something to fill in the extra few hours that I might normally have tra- been travelling. But it worked really well because uh, one of my friends runs the media skills course at Salford University. Uh, he and I would worked together before. I phoned him and said, I need a really good young student, just graduated, come out of, or just about to graduate, come out of university with all those skills because we know those kids are not going to get into work. And so he sent me Harry and Harry was absolutely fantastic. Harry brought Ellie, Ellie brought Ben, Ben brought George, George brought Ollie, um, Brion appeared in the middle of it all and so we had this wonderfully diverse group of young people. Now we couldn't afford to pay them because everybody was yeah. doing it as a hobby. Um, but those, all of those kids are in full-time work. And that, for me, was the absolute... I mean, it just it makes me emotional thinking about yeah. it because I roped in a few uh, BBC... Declan Curry, you may know, who used to do uh, BBC Breakfast, Mickey Clark, who did Wake Up to Money, a few of those people who um, hadn't got enough work on during pandemic, but everybody mucked in. And they taught those... They taught those young kids, well, they didn't need to teach them anything, frankly, they were absolutely brilliant. And that, to me, is one of the worst things that's happened in this pandemic. It's left 
young people between the age of 16 and 24 out of work. A lot of the 30-year-olds, so Brion was 30, yeah. um, he had been made, well, he'd come out of university in 2012. So this was the second time for him that he was in that boat. And that was the, for me, that was the height of the, that was just, just being able to do something like that, to help a few people get into work and jobs they really love. And I have to tell you that Ollie came from my home country in Northern Ireland. Uh, he actually went to the same school as me, but obviously there was a long time distant, 22, with cystic fibrosis. And he is now head of communications at Lord's Cricket Ground. Wonderful. <laughs> He's like, Wonderful. He is absolutely, that is absolutely what you want yes. to do. Yes. And it just made me cry. Yes. But a wonderful story, wonderful. you know, earlier this evening we heard from Joe and talking about the One Scotland and how we can make use of these recent graduates and capture that enthusiasm yes. and that capability because these are the digital natives. These Liz, are, aren't they? and they're absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So if you can do anything to help them, because this is going to be the tough bit now, and although I'm the Small Business Commissioner, I'm not supposed to be worrying about late payments. What I would really love, I mean, let's face it, if, if all the small businesses in the country could take on one half a person, we'd actually have solved that unemployment mm. issue amongst uh, young people. We've got to pay them, of course, that's the problem, and for small businesses. That's yeah. really difficult, and the training side of it's really difficult, because, yeah. you know, there's only you, you are the only resource. But um, it's something that I'm really, really passionate about. So if there's anything you can do to get those yep. graduates, get our graduates into, in. yes, What absolutely. a wonderful story. And I think, if, if anything, while we have all faced challenges during lockdown and, and the, you know, the personal and the emotional impact of it, I can point to many people in this room <coughs> whose businesses have grown and developed by being, we're all in the one platform. We're definitely not on, on the same boat. We're all in the one platform, as yeah, it were. Yeah, but those, but those, those, all of those young people, um, including um, another one, Amy, who set up the website, they all said it was the, the depression that was setting in about not getting work. It was the mental health issues that were beginning, they were beginning to feel anxious about. Um, and that, that was what, this is partly what keeps people going, is knowing that they're still doing something useful they're really learning, even Fantastic. though, you know, Fantastic. they're not earning enough. But. Well, you mentioned Northern Ireland there, and uh, that's your home country, mm -hmm. our Celtic connections and Celtic cousins there. So, as Fraser Allen would say, I'm taking you right back. Family, family life, what was it, what was it like from you? And as you were that schoolgirl, if anything like me, staring out the window, um, what, what were you staring out the window and thinking about the Liz Barclay? What, oh, what she was going to do? Being an actress. Being an actress, darling. Of course I was going to be an actress. We were all going to be actresses. <laughs> we, we firmly believed it. Of course then the reality sets yes. in, doesn't it? And yeah. then uh, I went to university in Aberdeen and then went abroad. I found an oil man in Aberdeen. That didn't last, unfortunately, but uh, it gave me a family in Scotland. Yeah. I, my sister's still in Scotland. My sister-in-law's in Scotland. My niece and nephew in Scotland. 
um, and a lot of friends in Scotland. So I am an honorary Scot, apparently. Yeah, you're and an anyway, affinity Scot. Anyway, Scotsmen are, Scots people are only, yes, you know, Irish people are only Scotsmen that can swim in some, you know. <laughs> not, not on my mother's side of the family, I hasten to add. <laughs> they came in the other direction. I love that. Yeah, so, um, yeah, so I have very strong connections with Scotland and I'm actually on the board of a Scottish company. And I have spent, I mean, I've lived in Aberdeen and Glasgow. I never lived in Edinburgh, but uh, I've spent a lot of time in Edinburgh and Dundee. I was just thinking about whether or not I had any connections that I could suggest. There's a really good restaurant in Carnoustie that I do know about. <laughs> um, you know, so that was, that was the dream then, but of right. course we all get a bit more sensible, uh -huh. don't we? Well, what did you study at Aberdeen University, Liz? Well, I got a bit of a checkered career. Um, I got myself a geography degree and then decided law would have been a better oh, idea. right. Yeah, but I decided to do tax law. Okay, uh-huh, hmm. yeah. Yeah, yeah, that wasn't great. There was a, there was a deathly silence in the room, room wasn't there? There, yeah, you, you didn't, didn't win it over. <laughs> but I realised that I, well, hadn't, I didn't have that eye for detail. Interesting. <laughs> that one, that Interesting. one so... But your, your career then, so we've had Aberdeen, we've come through in the, the various um, second city of the empire in, in Glasgow, thank you for that. But looking at your career, Liz, it, it shows a long history about campaigning for social justice and consumer rights, personal finance. Where did that come from, Liz? Because it's very strong looking at your career and, and anything that you've approached within your career. Um, probably too, well, my parents definitely, but possibly even before that my grandfather because he was a builder who ran his own building firm, but he also was the centre of his local rural community where everybody came if something had gone wrong. Um, they came for Sam and um, my grandfather uh, carried my grandmother over the threshold and never locked the door. So when he died, he had the key rusted in his front wow. door lock. Wow. Um, and people just came and went. And he also had the first telephone. So the telephone just got used. People put their money in the box. Uh, and the box was still there, absolutely full when he died. Uh, we had to get the key removed forcibly from the lock, etc. But he was just a wonderful person who always said, everybody's got good and you've got to fight. Maybe sometimes you have to look a bit for it, yeah. but it's there. Yeah. Uh, but my parents, my father was in local politics in Northern Ireland, and he always believed in, you know, thinking about how people had voted and how you share power and how you set up committees. And of course, we've got proportional representation in Northern Ireland. Not that many of the voters still quite grasp exactly how it works, um, but he always was so fair-minded and fair-handed over how you set up committees and things. So if, uh, you know, if, if somebody had a first greatest number of votes and some other party had a great second number of votes, then everything was proportionately set up in terms of committees, etc. So there was, some, there was a lot of that stuff and he worked for lots of uh, businesses and he was a farmer, mm -hmm. but he hated farming because he hated taking the animals to the market. We used to cry, he used to cry on a Monday morning because the sheep went to market. He cried on a Tuesday morning because the cattle went to market. He cried on a Thursday morning because the pigs went to market. Because my mother... I think, I think your father might have been bad. in the wrong job. He was in the wrong yeah. job. Just, he was just in the wrong job. Yes, my mother, on yeah. the other hand, was a great farmer, uh -huh. and she could talk to horses and dogs and do all yes. that bit, but yeah. she worked uh, for a lot of charities, and mostly family charities. And so I suppose that's where it came yes. from. Yes, well, 
there's, there's we were always, expected. Yes, yeah. uh, and it's something that you're gaining not by being taught, but by seeing. Yes. This, this is what's happening, and this is how, as you say, we bring yeah. a community together, Liz. And I don't know if that is something you can be taught. You see it in action. Well, I think the same could be said for mindset, you know, um, running a small business, because I've never actually been employed by anybody apart from part-time at Citizens Advice. Apart from that, I've always been freelance or running a small business or running a, a part of a small business. And I suppose that was an employment issue. Yeah. Um, however, I've always had that mindset that I wanted to work for myself. I was prepared to take the risks. Yeah. It's great to be able to innovate, but you do have to remember when you're running your own small business, you are carrying all of the risks. You know, there is no help out there for that. Um, you're making sure that you've got your own sick pay if you're really lucky. Um, otherwise, you're, you yeah. know, you're in a very difficult yeah. situation. And so for a lot of small businesses that I'm dealing with now, yeah. that is the big issue. There is no money. The cash flow is yeah. all important, but it's so tight. Yeah. And that's been horrendously difficult over and, this And just pandemic. continuing that theme then, you know, you're, you're obviously is exposure to... You know, significant challenges, and, and you mentioned there that you became CEO at Citizens Advice. There must have been innumerable situations where you are hearing firsthand of the difficulty individuals are yes. in, Liz. How has that then influenced your career going forward? And also, you've been in a position where you can make change. Have you taken those stories, particularly from the early days in your citizens' advice, and, and sought to make change? I hope so. Yeah. Especially around about inclusion, because I think that's really important. But for me, so the story goes that I then decided to um, join the civil service, you see. So having been wanting to be an actress, of course, the civil service is the next obvious step. Um, however, they offered me a job in the foreign office. Now, it never occurred to me until years later when somebody said, you do realise that you were completely checked out before you were offered this job in the foreign office and that everybody in Ireland, Scotland, everywhere else that you knew was contacted. So they were obviously going to move this now, wouldn't that have been hugely exciting? Of course, it never occurred, never occurred to me. I was so naive, it went straight over my head. But in the meantime, while we were waiting for all of this going on, and by God, can the civil service ever faff about when it comes to making appointments, uh, I had the chance to apply for citizens' advice because they, there was an ad in the paper. So I thought, right, I'll volunteer here. And it was part-time uh, as a debt advisor and part-time as a deputy, as deputy manager. And so uh, they paid me for 20 hours a week and I did about 60, I think. And I then set up three different offices as well. But those stories, I've never worked so hard in all my life. Those stories still stick with me. And it's the exclusion thing, I think, that always hit me strongest. But if I tell you, there are three stories that absolutely stick in my head. One was the morning I turned up and found on my doorstep a woman who had obviously been badly beaten and she had been beaten by her husband. She had gone to the police station in Cambridge. She had been delivered to my doorstep in Norwich. She was black and blue and she was blind. 
and I never ever got over that. Never. Yeah. I mean, we managed to get her somewhere, and you know, we managed to mm -hmm. to help her out. The next, the next one I haven't forgotten about was the. 17-year-old who brought his girlfriend to talk to me because she had been abused by her, sexually abused by her step-parents at the age of 13. And the only reason she agreed to come to talk about it was because her sister was about to turn 13. And he made her come mm -hmm. along and talk to me. Yeah. His mother, or, sorry, her mother, was disabled in a wheelchair. Now you put that picture together and you think that's yeah. what happens. Yeah. And the third one was the woman who had, uh, she had an addiction, she was a shopping addict. She had uh, a husband who, you know, she was in a job, she had a husband who was working. She had teenage sons, they were both at school. Everything that she spent, she spent on them. Not on herself, on them, but that's where the shopping addiction went. But when she came to me, the house was being repossessed that afternoon at three o'clock. And I was lucky enough to know the uh, district judge. So I phoned the court and I said, is such and such a judge on? And she said, yes, do you need to talk to him? I said, yes, urgently. So he did make time and he made time to see us that afternoon just because he knew me. And we got a stay of execution for 18 months in the end. And we got, we worked with them both and. Uh, and I had not long left when I heard that she'd got herself in the same mess again and the house had been repossessed and the bailiffs had turned up one afternoon. Yeah. Just changed the locks. Yeah. And I think what you've done there, Liz, is, is highlight the citizen's advice. This is not where you just go to if no. you've got a debt issue because debt is part of a larger circle and issue in Absolutely. your life. As you say, addiction takes takes many forms here. The tragedy around abuse and what that's happened, you know, the implications of that. And yet, the first place people went to was the citizen's advice. Yes, but also then, of course, we had a, a, a pretty ghastly situation in 1990 when we were in recession. And I don't know if you remember, but we were losing a thousand small businesses a week. And of those small businesses, we were also losing to repossession 76,000 homes a year for about three years. Now that's utterly horrendous, but that brought home to me, and that's where the obsession with small businesses started, because that brought home to me that uh, you have household and business finance inextricably linked. Yeah. So if one yeah. goes, the other goes as well. And that's when the obsession started. I set up a special clinic with a wonderful man called Bernard Wade from the Training and Enterprise Council. He was an enormous Yorkshireman. Uh, he was in his 60s, he was just brilliant. And he did all the business side of putting people back together again, and I did the debt side. And we, you know, I hope, I like to think that we managed to keep yeah. a few business, small businesses going, yeah. but it was really, really tough yeah. then. And actually it's never been quite that bad since, because we've got forbearance and time to pay, and now we've got time to grow coming through. Who knows what is going to happen in the next few months once, yeah. you know, once, uh, People have to start paying loans, beebles and siebels and all of that. That's yeah. going to be really telling. Um, I'm not sure. There's a bit of me that says we haven't seen the worst yet. And certainly if the supply chains carry on fracturing the way they're doing, who knows what's Who knows what? I know. But it, it's so mm -hmm. fascinating with you in positions to influence, Liz, having that knowledge of the 1990s of 
2007, but also the personal stories. And I think that's, that's what's so important in the role you, you have now. Well, you just remember business people, you know. Yeah. I, I always say, people say there are um, so many SMEs. We've got to stop talking about SMEs because the M, uh, there's about 35,600 of those. They're medium, they're up to 250 employees from 50 to 250. But underneath that, we've got five point, we've got 4.8 million sole traders. Uh, if you add in the zero, uh, if you add yes. in the next yes. lot, the micros, yeah. we've got about 5.1, and we've got 5.7 in total, probably small and micro and sole traders. Now, those are stories. Each one of those is a story. Each one of those is different, and we keep lumping them together. I don't know if I have any influence. But I am trying to get the ear of government yeah. and government ministers and so on yeah. and say, look, you know, we can't, you cannot assess the needs of small businesses if you lump them with medium or micros if you lump them with, with small. We have to think differently about yeah. this. Yeah. What is it they need? And we have to give them a voice because totally. frankly, the government uh, voice still sits with the big businesses and there are only 7,700 of those. Yeah. We're coming to that Sorry. and the voice. No, no, I'm, I'm following my agenda here. I'm following your CV. It's not at all. It's a joy, an absolute joy. I, I'm going to take you back to 1990s, as you were talking about there, late 90s, but the, the shift to the BBC. And, and I'm, you know, maybe now knowing that you wanted to be an actress, maybe that was why oh, the BBC came in and performer. <laughs> but... You're dealing with business and with the um, citizens' advice, etc. How did the BBC come about? Because they had the great good fortune uh, to stumble across the citizens' advice and they decided to set up a citizens' advice of their own, which then became what is now the BBC's advice lines. Yes, yes. So I, I set up the pilot scheme of that. Right. I ran that for a year, it was very successful. They decided to put money into it, and guess what they then said? you don't have the experience to run this, off you go, go back to Citizens Advice and we'll find somebody much more capable. <laughs> um, mm. but, the, but I stayed on as a freelance everything. So I've done absolutely everything yeah. from you know, making the tea, watching the clock, uh, writing the scripts, researching the, who's going to be on the programme, then producing, reporting, presenting and editing programmes. Yes. So for those of us, you know, I just, I'm so used to hearing you in my kitchen and, and you and yours. I mean, these are, again, the consumer-focused programmes. Did you have the opportunity to influence that? I hear you, what you're saying, that it was a strategic move for the BBC, but you had the opportunity to influence, not just on consumer rights, but if I go back to your point around diversity and, and, and inclusion there, you're one person, you know, how, how did you bring that experience and that insight into your role within the BBC? Um, well, again, I hope that I managed to do some of that. Um, but certainly on the programming front, it's always been about small businesses or consumer affairs, etc. Because I always felt if I didn't know something about something, I was probably not the right person to be fronting a particular programme. And I know that's not necessarily a popular view. Um, but 
I preferred actually to know something about what I was talking about. And I have interviewed quite a few politicians who've gone, I don't ever want to talk to you again. So uh -huh, you know, yeah. must, it might have worked at some level. Yeah. Uh, but on the, on the uh, diversity front, I, did I make a difference? I don't know. It's something that is just, again, really important to me because I feel that we need diversity of thinking. And you don't get that unless you've got people from all sorts of different backgrounds. And this is not about gender and colour and whatever, it's about how people think and what they bring to the table. But for me, it's not about diversity, it's about inclusion. Yeah. Because diversity yeah. is being invited to be around the boardroom table, but inclusion is being allowed to be heard, it's allowed to have a voice, it's allowed to speak, and it's actually being given the same amount of time and respect as everybody yeah. else. And frankly, some of the boards that I sit on in the city haven't quite cracked that one yet. <laughs> but it's interesting because it is a bit of a, a buzzword, you know, and it is yeah. diversity and inclusion. And I think, well, you know, let's bring women into to the boardroom. There's more diversity than women, you know. It's, well, you see, to me, that's gender balance. That's not diversity. Yeah. And, you know, we've got, to yeah. get the, we've got to appreciate we have a gender balance and we can get as close as possible. Yeah. But that isn't, to me, inclusion necessarily. Yeah. It's not, uh, because I have seen boards where we have had half and half, but actually the men get more speaking time and the chair has <laughs> very carefully orchestrated it in that way. Uh, I have to say, I haven't managed to keep quiet on that one either. Good, good, <laughs> good. But, you know, it's, there's still a long, long way to go. Yeah, absolutely. You I know, think. and I haven't got the kind of inclusion and diversity on all of my boards that I want either because it's that constant battle. But it's about... Um, the best, I think the best inroads we're making is in uh, the credit union movement, because the credit union movement, and again, a good Scot, Robert Kelly, from Glasgow, and I have known each other for a long time, and yeah. I've been going mm -hmm. diversity mm -hmm. inclusion mm -hmm. for Robert. Uh, he took over ABCOOL, the Association of British Credit Unions, and the first one of the first things he did was say, right, let's get on with it now, what have we got to do? So last year we set up uh, an inclusion group. Yeah that looks at what's the makeup of the members of the credit unions? Who's coming through the doors? So who do we need to reflect in society? And then think about who are the people who are working with them? Have we got that mix right? But this goes right back to citizens' advice days because we used to do a full community profile of anywhere we put a citizens' advice office. And we, we worked really hard to reflect in the staff the people in that community because they're not going to come through the door if they don't think there's anybody yes. like me yeah. there. They're not going to be brave enough to come and ask yes. that question. Yeah. So, you know, it's, it stems from those days. Yeah. But, but such a, and such an important point. If you don't see me in these positions, yeah, yeah we're never going to bring that just, It always reminds me of a little story. Uh, one, of my, one of my citizen advice volunteers came back from India and she brought her little son and they moved back to, they moved back to Suffolk. Now, I don't know how well you know Suffolk, but there's not a lot of diversity necessarily in Suffolk. Anyway, she went to Marks and Spencer's in Ipswich, and then there was a call over the Tannoy. Could the mother of the little boy come and... Could, and she was frantic. She was searching for him everywhere. And he was clinging to the leg of a Sikh in a turban, saying, please take me home. And that's what he was uh -huh. really missing. He, yeah. you know, being transplanted from yeah. what he was used to. You yeah. know, it just makes just makes me think over and over again yes. that uh, kids know better. <laughs>
Yes, I, I will vocalise vocalise it better. I'm I'm going to sort of jump jump on now to um, sort of sublime to, to the ridiculous. You you are an author of, of many books, including the the book for dummies. I'm quite sure uh, most I, of my books are for dummies. For, for dummies. <laughs> well, wait wait, wait to hear my next question actually. But where you unauthorised guides to business. And you produced two books, Unauthorised Guide to Business, based on Duncan Bannatyne and Sir Philip Green. What is it that you feel they have lessons that can share with an audience and our podcast audience of, of business leaders? Um, you've got to be very careful that you don't start believing your own hype, I think. I think that's part of the problem. Uh, Duncan Bannatyne proves to me that if, any, if he can do it, anybody can do it. <laughs> great lesson. Sorry. No, great lesson. I hope nobody's one of his best friends. Yeah, yeah. But it was the morning that he tweeted yet again about the sunrise over his penthouse in Covent Garden that I thought, no, that's it, you're off yeah. my Twitter list. Yeah. Um, the, the, the thing I did learn from Philip Green was that uh, you have to look after your supply chains. Yeah. And you have to look after the small suppliers first in your supply chain. And he absolutely believed and nailed that. And then look what happened. Yeah, yeah. But they, do you feel that they both have a business philosophy? They had. Yes, they had. I think they lost it somewhere. You know, I, right. I just wonder at what point do we lose yes. that? Yes, yeah. You know, that real grounding and that, that ability yes. to stand on yes. the floor. I mean, I know that if, uh, that, if that happens to me, my friends will administer the necessary yes. correction yeah. uh, in a very, very short space of time. But, you know, sometimes you get to the point where people can't challenge you. Yeah, absolutely. And I think in that, in, certainly in Philip Green's case, I suspect that might have become yeah. the case. Yeah. You know, where nobody was brave enough to say, that's yeah. not going to work. Yeah. And, and as you say, you know, right through your career, you have kept in touch with the people on the ground, no matter what role. And I think... To your point, if you lose that, then... My staff would tell me. Yes, yes. My friends would tell me. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. my, my uh -huh. office, yeah. by, and I haven't even met them yet. <laughs> Coming to In, that. Within 10 weeks, they've, they've learned, they'll tell me. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I hope in, in a short time, 30 minutes, uh, We've covered what a full and fascinating career, and, and I've missed out half the questions that I was going to ask you, Liz. But there it's you, I talk to you. not at all. It's a, it's a pleasure. But the here you are now in Whitehall, back in Whitehall. I'm now understanding in July, and you you were approached around the small business commissioner role. Why did you decide to take that role on? You've got to be inside the tent to make a difference. You know, and for Very me, true. I just keep thinking, if I can keep saying, even if I keep saying the same things, <laughs> some bit of it is going to drop into the right ear at some point. You know, and I just have to keep saying small businesses are the lifeblood of this community, of this economy, of their local communities, of their families, of their whatever. And we have got to uh, absolutely support them. And there's lots of ways that we've got to do that in. So I feel that... There's a chance of making a difference here that I haven't had yet. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to give it a shot. So for those of us who haven't been exposed to the Small Business Commissioner before, what is the full terms of, of your remit, Liz? 
uh, to provide insight for the Minister into the issues that small businesses are facing, but mainly, at the moment, my main challenge is to change the payment culture in the right. UK. Now, that, pre that, uh, that presupposes there is a payment culture, and of course that's a question that you know, we need to, I need to get a lot more underneath. Certainly, uh, during the pandemic, a lot of the big businesses, the biggest businesses, have done really well because they've looked at their supply chains and they thought, well, if we don't pay, pay these guys, we're not going to have that thing on the shelf that we need to sell, and then our customers are not going to be able to buy it. So there has been a shift in terms of, you know, paying people quickly, um, and I'm really grateful for that. Uh, but there's still a lot of processes that big... <laughs> I, I still have this vision that some businesses are writing in a ledger, Mm. and then sending mm. it by a runner along mm. the street yeah. to get it approved by somebody that yeah. then has to get it, you know, and the process itself lasts 30 days, so you can't speed up the payment any quicker. Mm -hmm. But then there are a lot of tech companies have come, come along yes. with uh, their apps that allow you to get them to create the invoice and get it paid quickly, yeah. so yeah. there's a lot of small businesses using, using those apps. But there's still about 2.8 million, I reckon, that are not digital, and a lot of them are still, unfortunately, writing almost literally invoices on the back of five packets. And we've got to change that. Yes. Now, HMRC is the point of contact where small businesses contact the government. HMRC is making tax digital. We need to support small businesses yeah. to pay tax in a digital Era. Yes. Yeah. So if we can get yeah. some of that through, the chances are then they'll be included better in some of the services and deals and whatever that there are out there. Yeah. Because again, it comes back to this exclusion. If you're digitally excluded yeah. now, um, and there was a really good quote today from, and I can't remember who it was from, that simply said, you know, uh, yes, it, there is a danger that it's all moving too fast because, of course, digital transformation yeah. is moving exponentially. It's really hard for the human brain to keep up with it. But it is going that way, whether we like it or not. It isn't going to stop. And there will be so many people left out if we don't find a way to embrace that. But small businesses are notoriously difficult to engage with. It's interesting. One of our previous Masterclass speakers is a Scott, Gary Turner, who up in Toronto. You know Gary yes. for Tide. Mm -hmm. Well, you'll know Gary's story that he shared with us that his parents were in a small business and they ran their own small business. And you know he saw that every night at the table, yeah. mum and dad were sitting there with the ledger and reconciling that ledger and knowing down to the last pence who owed them what. My mother did that bit too. <laughs> yes, and, and that, that has been a real driver yes. as to how he has developed Tide. And, and you know, always think of he's, Gary he's and his at He's at zero. Sorry, zero, zero. Yeah, just a, but he is, but yeah. he's leaving. Yes, he is yeah. leaving, yeah. yeah. Um, well, we have a big gathering tomorrow on Zoom or Teams or something. Uh, Lord Holmes is hosting to bring together all of those uh, companies to say, now you've got a bit of it right, but actually there's a much, much bigger jigsaw puzzle here, and I need the rest of the bits. Yeah. And it's quite interesting because we're still getting people saying, can I come along tomorrow? <clears throat> so, you know, there is a lot of thinking going Good. on. How do we negotiate the contract that goes beforehand? Because the small businesses quite often don't realise that the payment terms are 120 days. So they come along to my office and say to my guys, I haven't been paid yet. And they look at the contract and they go, well, you 
how long ago was it since you did the work? Oh, <coughs> more than 30 days. Is it 120? <coughs> no, nowhere near 120. You've signed 120 agreement. But it is about preserving that business relationship all the time. That's what people are really <coughs> worried about. They don't want to bite the hand that feeds them. And you can fully understand that. Totally, totally. <coughs> As I'm now losing my voice. <laughs> so I'll just keep talking. You keep talking. <laughs> well, I've got, I've got two last questions for you, Liz. I believe you have a laser-focused ask of our audience and our podcast audience I don't know if well. it's a laser-focused, but it's... Go just, for it. Can you help me? I need to find ways to engage with small businesses in order that we can find out what it is that we could do to help them um, get the tools that they need in order to help them be more effective in terms of the business they're doing. Everybody goes into business because they're really good at, what they, at making the widgets or the jewelry yeah. or whatever it is. That's the bit they love. But it's this awful bit about doing the ledger that really is the tough bit, and it's hard to get time to do that. So you put it off, and you do the invoicing. I mean, I've done this. You know, yeah. um, you put the invoicing off, and you do it all yep. at the end of the month. Totally. But in the meantime, you know, I've paid out because I've got other people that I'm hiring, and I've got... I try to pay them as quickly yes, as possible. Yeah. But sometimes then, so that means I'm taking all the risk. So there's lots of small businesses doing that um, and not ultimately getting paid. And I keep thinking about my plumber, who is the only reason he gets paid because he is one of the best looking plumbers on the planet. <laughs> and people will pay him because they'll simply say, I know it's a bit sexist, isn't it? Um, but honestly, people just pay him because they love yeah. him, you know? Yeah. Um, and. It, as far as the invoices are concerned, it's a nightmare. But I know that he struggles with his mental yes. health because he doesn't yeah. know when the next payment's coming from. Yeah. So seriously, we need to help a lot of people like that if we possibly can. On the other end of the scale, can I get into the boardrooms? Can you help me to get into the boardrooms to say to the chairs, do you know what the payment practices are in your business? Because most of the chairs of boards don't. And I think that this is an ESG issue. I think it sits in social, and I think it sits in governance. And I really want to get it on the agenda if we possibly can. Now, if I get to talk to a chair, he's going to call in the CEO, the CFO, Absolutely. and the chair of the RI. But if I just yes. call the CFO, he's not going to tell anybody else. Well, correct, correct, And that we want a meeting, yeah. you know? So that's what I yeah. really would love your help with, if you can possibly So you're me. looking for an insight from businesses yes. about the challenges yes. that they're facing yes. on a day-to-day -day level. Yes. And we are post-pandemic, God willing, yes. and we're post-Brexit. Yes. The challenges there are once in a lifetime, yeah. you know, once in a generation. And also ability to get into boards yes. to say, that's all I'm asking. Yeah. Not well, lot, is it? <laughs> no, no, but laser, laser focused as Liz, my, my last question of the evening. I mean, my, my father's uh, remit in life was if you want a job, do it and give it to a busy woman. You have an incredible number of commitments with boards and non execs and chairs and now this key role in, in Whitehall. What does life outside of work? look like? What, what would a dream weekend, Liz Barclay, oh, consist of? Oh, Friday night having dinner with Kim. Excellent. Because I tell you what, she's great company and she can, she can drink as much wine as me. Excellent. Everybody <laughs> needs a Kim. Everybody, everybody needs a Kim. Uh, the dog... <laughs> 
Um, and I tell you, I tell you what, when it comes to drinking whiskey, Fraser Allen takes the biscuit because he sat in my garden and polished off an entire bottle of Jura, so therefore I know. Um, I take the dog down to uh, King's Cross on a Saturday morning and we, we wander. There's a beautiful that sculptured is. piece yeah. of green grass at yeah. the back that he yeah. loves to dig holes in. Yeah. So we're going to get evicted from there and then we meet friends for lunch. Lovely. And then Sunday, I usually do about three hours work just to make sure I've got well, something in the back yeah. for Monday yeah. morning. But I think we're, we're all guilty yeah, of that. We're so. all guilty. But I Liz, just... Fantastic. Well, we can tell and love making connections. Liz, thank you. Thank you so much. We're, we're well over our time and I know there's food and drink there. Aha, food and drink. Any whiskey on the go? Now, Liz Barkley, you are very naughty because I could never drink anything like a whole bottle of whiskey. But we did have a very good kick of the ball on that lovely summer's evening in your garden. And I remember it very well. I first met Liz in the late 90s when she helped me out big time with a project that I was doing for Prudential to launch an online bank called Egg. That was a great adventure. So it was great for me to hear so much more about her in the interview. And I can't imagine a better person for the Small Business Commissioner role. So a big thanks to her and also to Christine, who, as ever, did a fantastic job. Thanks for listening. And we'll be back again soon. To find out more about the Scottish Business Network, simply visit sbn.scot.